So guess what I did this week? <laughs> Dang, no, that's an interesting guess though. What's on your mind, Simon? Huh? I did do that. Uh, no, so I actually uh, decided to, so I asked my wife to put a restriction on my internet usage. So it's now on my phone, I only get 15 minutes of Safari. And for those of you who use Android for some reason, that's the internet app. Um, and so, right, I know, who uses Android? I don't get it. Caleb, where are you? Uh, so yeah, so I gave up uh, Safari, I got 15 minutes, and I'm telling you guys, it's been like one of the best things ever for me, at least these few days at least. So I am thinking of the phone. The phone for me, who's seen Lord of the Rings? Yes. Okay. The phone for me is the ring. It's literally the ring. It's always calling to me, my precious. It just, it's on my, it's on my hip. It's like, it's in my pocket. It's like, I just want to, oh, it's a little boring. Oh, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little, a little sad. And it's just like, I just always will turn to it often and, uh, and I'll be distracted. And I was thinking like, you know how the, when the ring, you put the ring on, you disappear. And I swear that's what happens with your phone. Like you, you, you open your phone up and you start to look at it and next thing you know, you're disappearing into the digital abyss, the digital world. And so I would disappear at times with my sons and my fa- at home with my family and I'd disappear here or disappear there. And I don't know, so that's just, I've just been having a really amazing, like you, don't, you know how Frodo, he doesn't realize how heavy the burden is until he like takes the ring off. Yeah, it's the same with the phone. It's like you don't realize how great it is not to like be attached to it until you're like, put some restrictions on it. So just, uh, I just literally has nothing to do with the message. It's just like the way God's working in my life right now. And it's literally amazing. So try it out. I dare you. Ask your parents, if you have a phone, to put a block on your internet usage and, and only get like 15 minutes for like a week. See how you feel. All right. So last week, uh, we covered the first three days of creation. Okay. And we noted how the text uh, was specifically structured uh, it, it, to emphasize certain attributes, uh, particular characteristics of God. Uh, the, the attribute we focused on was the power of God last week. And, and we saw this in how the, the creative work, so in the forming and the filling activities of, of each day, uh, it began with a simple three-step structure. First, each day began with an announcement of God's speech to come and God said, followed by a command, let there be light, and then an expression of fulfillment, and there was light, or and it was so. In other words, every time God opened his mouth, amazing things happened. Mountains rose and emerged, oceans were formed, rivers, raging rivers flowed, light illuminated, the sky enclosed, uh, fertile soil prepared. When God spoke, we saw unbelievable demonstrations of power, of power. And, And now as we look at the next three days of creation, we're going to set our minds on another attribute of God. Uh, revealed to us in this creation account. So let's go ahead and read our passage, pray, and dig in. And so if you look at your papers, we're going to begin at that verse 14. It says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. 
and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, we want to look upon you tonight as you reveal yourself to us and call you good and call you trustworthy call you holy. We want to look upon you as you reveal yourself to us in the scriptures tonight and love you and follow you and obey you. And so, Father, now we ask that your Holy Spirit would work inside our hearts, often our callous, cold, disinterested hearts. Father, awaken us, renew us, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. We invoke your presence. We pray for your presence now. In Jesus' name, amen. So the next attribute that we're going to study together tonight is the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God. And, and when I use that word wisdom, uh, I'm referring to God's knowledge, right? What he knows, facts, truths, axioms, uh, mathematics, laws of nature, so forth, but also what he can do with what he knows, we could call that skill or, or competency. But simply, it's, it's God's ability to get something done, to put something together successfully, his ability to make something work. And so wisdom, uh, you can think of it, it's a combination between both knowledge and ability. Knowledge and skill and working in tandem with one another. So, so for example, our very own Mr. Doug Rice is a professional plumber. Did you know that? Shout out. And that means Mr. Rice has both knowledge of how plumbing works, what kind of pipes you need in your home, he knows, uh, what kind of caulk you need to seal your faucet, uh, what kind of uh, you know, materials you need to put a toilet in, and so forth, but he also has the skill. He can install it, he can repair it, he can fix it. 
And so when it comes to plumbing, Doug is wise. <laughs> he has both knowledge and competency and not a paid sponsor, not directly anyway. Um, and, <laughs> and with that understanding of wisdom in place, uh, so we kind of get understanding, right? We got that understanding. It's, it's, it's both knowledge and it's both competency. This attribute of wisdom is what we find revealed about God in the Genesis creation account. And to see this most clearly, we need to revisit the structure we identified last week, which I reminded of us earlier. So, so as I stated before, the structure of Genesis 1 consists of an announcement, then a command, and then typically an expression of fulfillment. And now we're going to identify a fourth element, a fourth element included in the structure of Genesis 1. And we're going to call that element a statement of execution. Can you say execution with me? Execution. A little bit louder. Execution. Uh, yes, good, good. All right. Now, to see what I'm saying, let's look at a couple of examples, all right? But before we do that, before we do that, I, I just want to say that one of the greatest burdens I feel as your pastor, as I preach and teach the Bible, is that I want to preach the Bible in such a way that Vinny does not fall asleep. That in a way that Josh doesn't fall asleep, uh, in a way that you don't get bored and check out and don't realize why it's relevant to you. Like I want to preach the Bible in a way that it, that it comes alive to you, that like you're awakened to something that's so weighty and so heavy. Like I want to preach the Bible in that way. But, but here's the reality, guys. Here's the reality. The exposition the explanation of what scripture means. That's what exposition means. To draw out what it means, which is first and foremost what I care about. I want you to hear God's voice, not my own. It requires us to do these things. These things. Think critically. To ask difficult questions. To observe the structure of sentences and paragraphs. To trace the logic of an argument, to define words and survey their usage in the Bible. In short, the exposition of Scripture, which is what preaching does. Like, so when you leave and you become an adult, I'm hoping that you look for a church where they actually exposit and preach the Bible. Okay? So that's what preaching does. This uh, requires us to study. It requires us to study. And that doesn't release as much dopamine as your favorite video game or the, the latest training video on TikTok or the highlights from last night's game. It just doesn't. I'm sorry. Not immediately. And while not as immediately gratifying as your favorite TV show, though, the study of Scripture, the study of God's Word has the power to do much more than Netflix. God's word changes our lives. God's word renews our relationships. It refines our character. And most importantly, it reveals to us the living God so that we can live in a, a vibrant and rich and joyous relationship with our creator. Instagram can't do that. Minecraft can't do that. YouTube can't do that. So, so as you attend Risen and church in general, as you listen to sermons, I encourage you, don't check out at the exposition. Like, don't lose focus when we start, like, looking into the passage with greater depth and rigor. Instead, I encourage you now, dig in. 
ask questions. You know, I give you papers every week because I want the word of God before you, every single one of you. So to circle, underline, uh, highlight, take notes, learn, soak it in, engage yourself as you hear sermons. So that's just a little mini digression. So let's go into some exposition. So look at your papers and go to the beginning of day four. Okay, day four, starting at verse 14, and let's observe the structure together, right? It says, and God said, that's the announcement, let there be lights and the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And so all that was a command. Let these lights come into existence and have these particular purposes. And then next comes the expression of fulfillment. And it was so. But then, right, we, we know that structure. Then following the expression of fulfillment, fulfillment, we have another statement that restates God's execution, the carrying out of the command. And it says there, look there, verse 16, and God made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. Now, if you pay attention, in the statement of execution, the text basically says the same thing that was just said in the command. So here's a question I think that can drive us a little deeper. Why would God add a statement of execution? I mean, in most days, right after the command is given, we receive an expression of fulfillment saying that it was done. And it was so. It was completed. So why not just move on? Is not the statement of execution just redundant and uh, unnecessary information? And the answer is, of course, no. So in the ancient Hebrew language, uh, which is what Genesis was written in, uh, to emphasize important truths, uh, they would use the literary device called repetition. Repetition, which is self-explanatory. So instead of putting uh, an exclamation point at the end of a sentence, or instead of italicizing or boldening a word, they would repeat words and phrases and sentences. And so the question is then, what's being emphasized? in these seemingly redundant statements of execution. What's being emphasized? And I think the answer is found in three key observations. Three key observations. So let me point them out for you. First note that emphasis is put on God's direct interaction with what's created. There's emphasis put on that. So for example, if we look back at the execution statement in verse 16, after giving the command, let there be lights. In verses 14 and 15, it says in verse 16, God then made, right? He made the two great lights. So God gives the command, but just so that we really understand, the execution statement comes then, underlines and highlights God's direct involvement in the creative process. He made the two great lights. God made, and then in verse 17, again, it says God set the sun, moon, and stars in place. Okay, that's the first observation. Also note how many times the preposition to, to 
is repeated in verses 16 and 17. Look there with me. It says, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And each one of these two prepositions, it's indicating purpose a goal, an intention. So that is, within these execution statements, God not only designs uh, the material makeup of creation, he makes it, but he also gives them their purpose. And if we go down and look at verse 20, here's the third observation. It says, and God said, announcement, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. That's the command. And then verse 20 gives us the statement of execution. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves according to their kinds. Again, here we see God's direct involvement in the creative process in that phrase, according to their kinds. And that phrase comes up over and over again, which tells us it's important, right? Repetition. When God created all of the plant life, he did so according to their kinds. Verses 11 and 12. When he created all the sea creatures, he did so according to their kinds. When he created all the land animals, he did so according to their kinds. And so now that we looked at the passage, we, we, we dug in a little bit. We got a little deeper, did some analysis, did some exposition. These three observations, one, the repetition of God's direct involvement. Two, the repetition of the preposition two, indicating purpose. And three, the repetition of the phrase according to their kinds. Those three observations, they all add up together uh, to highlight and to reveal God as a supreme and masterful architect. An architect who must have unsurpassed knowledge and competency, incomparable wisdom in order to design every facet of creation. Uh, according to scientists, the structure of our universe, that is like the very material existence of space and time and matter, energy, all that exists in your universe, our universe, it's determined by a set of exquisitely precise values. And they call these values uh, constants and quantities. So for example, the force of gravity in our universe is determined by the gravitational constant, which is 10 to the 60th power. Okay, so this is a dial from a stove in one of our church kitchens. Don't let me forget it to put it back. That's where it went to. <laughs> so I stole this a little earlier. Okay, uh, so I think it's got like four markers on it, right? And, uh, and, on, and that helps us dial in the level of heat I want to make my son's cheese quesadillas, which I make some really good quesadillas, all right? Butter the pan, get it nice and buttery, sear it up nice, cheesy, okay? Um, so, but if I added, so think about this, if I, it's got four or five markers, if I added 10 more markers, you know, I can maybe get that heat to a little bit more precise level. 
Let's say if I added 10 more markers. Okay, a little bit, little bit more degree of precision. Let's say I add a million marks on this dial. I'm gonna get really close precision. Oh, okay, let's, okay, that's a billion. A billion. A trillion. Okay, so each time you add more markers, you get more precision. So now imagine if the markers on this dial had 10 to the 60th power. That's the gravitational constant. So that's 10 with 60 zeros. And for reference, a trillion only has nine. So 10 to the 60th power of markers on this dial. And if it was just off one of those, the whole universe wouldn't exist. And I'm not just talking about Earth. I'm not talking about our solar system, our galaxy, nothing would. And there are several constants and quantities that are even more precise than that. That's why uh, the genius and theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking, you probably heard of him, he says this, the remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers, talking about the constants and quantities of the universe, seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. That's Stephen Hawking. It's like something is behind this. And then uh, when speaking about the fine-tuning of the universe, Paul Davies, he's a renowned physicist, and he's not a Christian. And, and listen to what he says. There is, for me, powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. <laughs> it seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universes. The impression of design is overwhelming, he says. And so that's what we see emphasized over and over again in Genesis 1. God made and God set the sun, moon, and stars in their precise place. But remember, he also created all of biological life according to their kinds. There are at least 8.7 million distinct species of plants and animals on our planet that we know about. We don't even know about them all. And the vast majority uh, haven't even been identified. In fact, uh, get this, the number is so great, according to one article, that it will take a thousand years to catalog all the different species. Just to identify them. Know a little bit about them. And, and this is really astounding when we consider all that has to go right for organisms to live, to move, to breathe, to, have, to enjoy life. Um, as you know, we're all made up of cells, right? Made up of cells. Uh, so are trees. So are elephants, uh, whales, ants. And basically all living organisms are made up of cells. And every cell contains DNA. And DNA carries, you know, the genetic code that instructs every single cell in your body to perform its proper function. So, so the cells in your stomach are unique. And in the DNA of the stomach cells, they have specific instructions that tell you how to digest food. 
the cells in your eye have unique DNA instructions that allow us to see. The cells in your bicep have unique, especially mine, DNA instructions. <laughs> right? And, and get this though, there are over 37 trillion cells in just one human body, all containing DNA instructions. So much code, it could fill books that enable us to perform everyday functions. And every cell, cell knows its job. And so uh, when we consider the insane precision used to design the universe and the amazingly complex design of biological life and then consider how it works all together in a well-functioning system, we start to, to just get a glimpse at the vastness of the mind behind the design. Just a glimpse. Genesis 1 teaches us that in creation, God has put together the most complicated system ever conceived. Trillions and trillions and trillions and billions of variables. And he did it with ease. Genesis 1 reveals to us that God has mastery. I mean, he has perfect and complete understanding of every subject. Every domain of knowledge, biology, chemistry, calculus, history, language, neurology, anatomy, physics, psychology, he's mastered them all. He's never struggled with math homework. Ever. He's never stared at a blank screen and said, I don't know what to write. He's never forgotten one fact. He's never confused or uncertain. And that's why when the Apostle Paul, he, he was pondering the wisdom of God, right? When he was pondering the great vastness of the mind of this infinite being, look at your cross-reference sheet. This is what comes out of his mouth. Praise, praise burst forth from his lips. And he's saying this, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Students, Genesis 1 reveals to us the immeasurable wisdom of God, and this means we can trust Him. We can trust Him. He knows what's best for us. Listen, I've never obeyed God and regretted it. Never once. I've never followed God's design for my life and wish I had it. Never. But you know what I have regretted? Disobeying God, not following his design, not trusting him. I've seen it bring sorrow and destruction in my life. I've seen not following God's design bring burn relationships time and time and again. And my experience then has showed me that God ultimately knows what's best for me. And so listen, if 
our boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with us. We trust God's plan. If we fail to get the grade we want, we trust God anyway. If we don't get into our desired college, if we don't get that internship, if an injury takes away our sports season, if one of our good friend, friends goffs us behind our back, if we total our car in an accident, if we get cancer and we die at 16, we trust God anyway. Because he is a God of infinite wisdom beyond your wildest imagination. And he orders and he governs the universe according to his wise and holy will. And so the question I believe God wants us to ask ourselves tonight is, are we trusting in our own wisdom? Are are we leaning on our own direction in our life? Or are we following God's design? Are we trusting the one whose mind never fails? Are we trusting the one who organizes the most complex systems ever imagined? Are we trusting in ourselves? Are we living life his way as we trust his plan and purpose for every moment of our lives? That's the question I think God wants us to be asking and searching our hearts with tonight. Do you trust in the wisdom of God? Do you grasp the wisdom of God, the magnitude of it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, good God, holy God, God of all wisdom, uh, we come to you now seeking to ask you for greater faith, to trust you in the uncertain circumstances of our life to trust you in hard times, to trust you when we think we want to go our own way and we know what's best, to trust that your way is best. Father, lead us to paths of righteousness and joy and peace. Help us, Father. We're weak. We're prone to wander. We need you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.